9, <clears throat> 5 through 10. It is awesome to see this many people in Bible study. Amen. Looks like some of our communication efforts are working. Amen. So good to have you, every guest, visitor, and friend. Thank you for joining us. And KCC, let's just cheer our visitors for coming tonight. Thank you for being here. <laughs> Amen. Amen. We pray that something is said and done that will cause you to want to come back again. All right. Well, we're on to a new series. This is the month of April. Every quarter, we're doing what we call Personal Development Month. We did it uh, in January. It's time to do it again. We will be focusing on four areas all month long. Uh, that is the platform of the spiritual, the emotional, the physical, and the financial. Amen. We're going to focus on those four areas. Uh, and where we get that from is Paul uh, described us as a tripart being. He says, God sanctify you holy, uh, spirit, soul, and body. And I always tell people, uh, you are not what we see. So when I look at you, I am not looking at you. Amen. I am a spirit. I have a body. Excuse me, live in a body. And I have a soul. I am a spirit. Everybody say that. Come on. I am a spirit. I live in a body. And I have a soul. All right. You'll get it after three Bible studies. But you are a spirit. We don't look at you. One of the best ways to describe it is a good pastor friend of mine was preaching here, and uh, uh, he, he was heavy set, and he said, uh, my body is fat, but my spirit, my spirit's not fat. Amen. And I think that's the best way to put it in a metaphor. So when you look at me, you're not looking at me. You're looking at the shell, because I live in a body. I have a soul which is my emotions, amen, but I am a spirit, amen. So tonight I want you to go with me to 2 Chronicles 29, verse 5 through 10, and I want to show you where we're going. Everybody say spring cleaning. Spring cleaning. All right, let's do it. 2 Chronicles 29, verse 5 through 10, and I honor my sweet wife tonight. Let's clap our hands for her, amen. Love her tonight. Now, I'm going to flip back and forth, probably from three different versions tonight, New King James, King James, and Amplified, but I want to start off by reading it, I think, in the New King James. It says it this way uh, in 2 Chronicles 29, verse 5 through 10, and he said unto them, hear me, Levites, sanctify yourselves, sanctify the house of the Lord God, your fathers, and carry out the rubbish from the holy place. Somebody say, take out the trash. Take out the trash. Sanctify yourself and carry out the rubbish from the holy place, for our fathers have trespassed and done evil in the eyes of the Lord our God. They have forsaken him, have turned their faces away from the dwelling place of the Lord, and turned their backs on him. They have shut up the doors of the vestibule, put out the lamps, and have not burned incense or offered burnt offerings in the holy place to the God of Israel. Now, Paul's right there. This was the temple that had been locked down, kind of like the church we're building. It was shut down. All worship was done. The lights were out. Amen. The holy place had been stopped. 
And this is exactly what he was saying. He says in verse number eight, therefore the wrath of the Lord fell on Judah and Jerusalem and he has given them up to trouble, to desolation, to jeering as you see with your eyes. I like verse number nine. For indeed, because of this, stop right there, because of what? Sin. Because of sin. Because of sin, God has allowed certain calamities to occur. How many of you know that certain things happen because of? I'm going to give you my subject in just a second. But certain things that occur in our life, they had nothing to do with the will of God. It was not what God wanted. God didn't just allow it to happen. But because of this, because the people had turned their back, first lady, on God, because the people had turned their hearts away from God, all of this desolation came in. Let me see if I can say it this way. It's not God's fault. Now, I hope y'all still say amen tonight. You can't take out the trash if you don't call it trash. If you don't deal with the trash, if you don't, if you don't recognize that it stinks, you can't take it out. Today is Thursday. In fact, this is our trash day at me and, and, and my sweet wife's home. And we make it a uh, tradition. If we forget anything else, we don't forget to take that Cause honey, when you got four kids and two that wears pull-ups, leave that trash in there a week too long. Try it. In the hot season. Woo! Hatching and stinking. The whole garage. As my dad would say, you got the whole garage lined up. I don't know what that means, but his point is everything stinks. Right? You got to take that trash out. It stinks. And tonight I'm going to help you take the trash out. But the word of God teaches us in verse 9, because of this, our fathers have fallen by the sword and our sons and our daughters and our wives are in bondage. They're in captivity. Certain things are there because they forsook God. They forsook God. Now, here's where we'll take our text from, and I'll give you my subject for the night. Verse 10 says, now it is in my heart. Somebody shout, it's in my heart. Now it is in my heart to make a covenant with the Lord God of Israel that his fierce wrath may turn away from us. Saints, for your hearing tonight and friends, I want to talk from the subject, a heart for God. A heart for God. Because I'm telling you right now, you can try to get all these other things going. You can try to get your money in order. You can try to get your emotions in order. Watch this. You can try to fix your marriage. Amen. You can try to fix your parenting. But until the heart, until the heart is going in the direction that you think you want to go, there will be no change. Many of you know this by heart, but turn there anyway. Proverbs 23 and 7, please. Because this is critical, even as we're introducing the text, Proverbs 23 and 7. Again, many of you know it by heart, but turn there. Proverbs 23 and 7 says, as a man thinketh where? In his heart, what happens? So goes he. So you can never go where your heart isn't. You can never perform where your heart isn't. This is why a young person who goes away to college will flunk out if their heart is not in college. 
They'll be back after a semester because their heart is not in it. They won't even go to class. You can never go where your heart is. Your marriage will never get better if your heart towards marriage doesn't change. Amen. You will never experience wealth in life with a poverty mentality. A broke, busted, stingy, disgusted mentality, you will never grow. If you penny pinch every dollar you get and never become a giver, you will always be a penny pinching broke person. Because as a man thinketh in his heart, so goes he. I can only progress where my affections are, and I want to make that statement early on. But the heart is, if you will, one of the most critical areas needing to be managed in the life of a believer. Everybody say, I got to manage my heart. And you might say early on, Pastor, what is the heart? I mean, you know, I know I have this physical heart, but obviously you're talking about a different heart tonight. Well, let me give you the Hebrew word for heart. It comes from this word leb, L-E-B, which means the inner man or one's will. Your heart is your inner man or your will. So there, there goes the whole point. As a man thinketh in his will, or as a man wills, there goes he. As his inner man is constructed, there goes he. You can take a person out of the projects, and I mean no harm. Take them out of the projects and put them in this immaculate home and give them the bells and whistles of life. But if they still have Egypt project mentality... Look at that house in three months. They'll have a cannibalized car on the front with grass growing around it and the kitchen will be just as disgusting as it was where they came from. Y'all ain't saying nothing tonight, but I'm going to teach this lesson. Because they didn't get graduated from Egypt mentality. You took them out of the setting, but you never took the setting out of them. <laughs> You took them out of the, the, the situation, but you didn't take the situation out of them. I mean no harm. I'm very sensitive tonight. But this is why people go back to domestic violence relationships. What makes a person go back to that? Well, you didn't take it out of them. They never got delivered from that person. So the only thing they can see through their flawed insight are the good things that this individual did, overlooking all of the horrific things that they did. Are y'all going to pray with me tonight? So the bottom line is, Lev is your will. It's your heart. It is, it is critical that you uh, understand that because it is your heart, John, that will make or break you. A good heart, you'll be awesome in life. A bad heart, you'll never go anywhere. I wish I was in church tonight. The right mentality, you can have wealth beyond reason. The wrong mentality... You'll never, ever get out of paycheck to paycheck. The right mentality, amen, you can live in health physically. Come on, somebody. Ain't no sense in shining up for every other Weight Watcher, Cybernetics, Cybergenics, and everything else without changing the heart. <laughs> Y'all ain't saying nothing. Amen. You don't change the heart, amen. The sexual lascivious habit will never go away. Because your will is still to be used and abused. Are you in here tonight? But if you change your heart, if you change your will, somebody shout, we can go somewhere now. Well, go to Jeremiah 17 and 9 because I want you to understand the state of your heart pre-salvation 
And then I want you to understand what your role is and what your job is even post-salvation. Because again, the soul, the spirit, and the body are three separate areas of a person. And really tonight, when we say your heart, I really am speaking to your soul. I'm speaking to your will, your intellect, your emotions, all right? And I want you to understand the state of your heart pre-salvation. Jeremiah 17 and 9 teaches us that the heart is what? Deceitful above what? All things, and it is what, church? Desperately wicked. What is the heart? Desperately wicked. Pause right there. When there is a better option, your heart still wants the bad option. The default setting of your heart is to lust. The default setting of our heart is to sin. The default setting of our heart is to overdo anything. Are you in here tonight? The default setting of our heart is to do those things that are not pleasing to the Lord. The default setting of your will, pre-salvation, and saints of God, this is why you need Bible study. It's not, it's not something that it's like, I might make it. No, 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 no. We got to be conformed to the will of God over and over again. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And that's not just faith to get a new house. That's faith to walk right, to live right, to honor God. That's faith to make God the very center of your affections. But that does not just happen, Melvin, by default. Because by default, on a Thursday night, the heart wants to get more rest. By default, it not only wants more rest, it would prefer we'll get here later to watch a good episode of Scandal. But now, if you, oh, shucks, if you're going to function in the kingdom, if you're going to have what God wants you to have, you got to stop getting your jollies off of a woman having sex with folks that's not her husband. Now, look here. I'm not changing my message. I'm glad you came tonight. But at the end of the day, holiness is still right. And if you don't do it God's way, come on, somebody, you will never get all that God wants you to have. And greater than that, there's a place called hell that you ought not go to. Somebody shout hallelujah in this place. How are you going to have a good heart watching empire? I mean, where you get that from? We're getting there later on, but evil communication corrupts good manner, the Bible says. So how are you going to have a good heart taking in foolishness? Enticing your flesh. Come on, somebody. Giving your flesh all it wants. Because after all, Jeremiah 17 and 9 says, the heart is what, church? Desperately wicked. And then it says, who can know it? Which literally means, if you're writing, who can understand the heart's affections? Who can understand the heart's affections? Ask yourself this question. Why would a man who has it made, beautiful wife, making good money, got all of the things. You know, we are in a materialistic world, so I'm going to put it on that platform. Got the big house, got the bins, got all those. Why would that man get caught embezzling? I mean, what's up? With, I mean, he had good bonuses. I mean, he had $100,000 bonuses twice a year. I'm not going to call any names tonight, but listen to me. I'm, I'm teaching this lesson. Who can understand that? Ah, he never got the desperately wicked heart changed. 
So you can't put footings on why a person would leave their awesome wife, beautiful children, got it made, and go out there and find themselves with some harlot. Why would a person who has life at their fingertips, everything going well, living in the finest of homes, find themselves tax evading? Well, the heart is desperately wicked. So even when there's an option to enjoy and do well with, come on, somebody say contentment, what I already have. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Well, the heart is wicked, so the heart always says, I need more. One wife's not good enough. I'm helping somebody. I need more. This is not big enough. I need more. And for the record, I'm not against prosperity. Build the house as big as you can afford it. But what God is saying is at the end of the day, honesty. Amen. Trying the reins of our heart and understanding that the default setting of our heart is that it would prefer to do the wrong thing. But how many of you know when you get born again, you have authority over your heart's preferences. You have authority over your heart's affections. Put this in your notes, please, if you don't mind. Never trust your heart affections. Rely on God's directions. Never trust your heart affections. Good to see you, Pastor John. Rely on God's directions. It's our heart. It's our emotions that get us in trouble. Some people, you might be in here tonight, and I'm not being hard on you, but hear me soberly. If you're like Pastor Gabe, I made this mistake years ago in my life. You know, you bought a car off of affections. That wasn't God's direction. Then we needed five years of the grace of God. Y'all ain't saying amen. You know, when you got to call them, GMAC, and say, can you put this payment at the back? Well, if I be honest, God never told me to buy that car. Now we own something. I trusted my heart's affections instead of God's direction. Now, God's direction was, no, go buy that $2,500 car for cash. And be content with that because that's what you can afford. But my heart's affections were, but no, I need to have the $25,000 SUV. But the heart is desperately wicked. The heart always wants to have you in bondage. The heart always wants to have you figuring it out. The heart always wants you, and I'm helping believers tonight, wants to always have you swimming upstream. But I come to remind you of something, saints, and really hear this, not just inspirational. Really get this down in your heart. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it how, church, more abundantly. The life of a believer is supposed to be an awesome life. And I'm not moving far from that. In order for us to have Antoine an awesome life, we have got to contextualize our heart and make sure that our heart is not driving the ship in its wickedness. Come on. And that it is the power of God that governs us. It is godly thoughts that governs us. It is godly direction that governs us. That we are taking authority over our emotions. Are you in here tonight? I'm not trusting my emotions. Let me say it this way. I'm not staying with him just because he pays a few bills. Come on, somebody. I'm not shacking just because it feels good. I am trusting God. I'm getting out of this yoke of bondage. I'm going all the way with Jesus. Ain't no habit like the habit of the Holy Ghost. I don't need marijuana, cocaine after all. 
got authority over that. Stop telling me you got to kiss somebody that's not your wife. You got authority over that. You got authority over that. I don't have to spend money. I got authority over where, what, where my checkbook goes. But the heart will try to convince you that you got to have it because it's desperately wicked. Literally means who can understand it. Now, let me give you some quick examples, and we're going to get into some points. Examples of how the heart is def- desperately wicked. Somebody shout, we getting delivered tonight. Arrogance is one example. Pride, that arrogant side of that heart, boy. That pride, I know more than God. I'm smarter than God. You know, sometimes you guys know I'm a therapist. I meet people in counseling sometimes, and, you know, they'll be talking about their problems, and I'll say, well, you know, do you go to church? No, well, we know. We just kind of study on our own arrogance. Because the truth is, you can't be taught. Why you don't have a pastor? Now we're dealing with heart issues. Why no one can't tell you anything? Well, no, you know, they met in the house in the book of Acts. Well, keep on reading. Get to the book of Hebrews. They said, forsake not the assembly of yourselves together, especially as you see the day approaching, the last and evil days. No, you need a church. Furthermore, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But that arrogance, that pride of I know it all. I can manage my own life. Don't nobody tell me nothing. I got revelation on all of the 66 books. And Paul says you still need to be taught. But arrogance will make us think we have a foothold. And I'm telling you, y'all, just because a person is not walking around with their chest hung high doesn't mean that they still don't struggle with arrogance. Sometimes there's what I call passive arrogance. You know what passive arrogance is? I won't say nothing, but I still think I know more. (laughs) I ain't going to say nothing. But I I still, nah, that ain't accurate. That's arrogance. Amen. When you sit in church and the truth is coming forth and you don't say amen, that's arrogance. You don't believe that, do you? The pastor said something on Sunday that I've been saying for years. When you don't worship. That's a bad heart. How come your hand don't almost go in the air? Seem like something, something. Praise team singing their heart out. (laughs) Shouting music going on. I mean, nothing on ever. Well, we just, you know, I'm a little more sophisticated. I don't do that. Well, let me give you some direct contrast to that. The Bible says, praise him in the dance. The Bible says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. So, well, but pride seeps in and you don't have to make noise. I'm helping somebody tonight. But that same person who says I'm reserved, let him go to their peewee son's football game and little Gerald about to score a touchdown. They'll be running down the sideline. Get in there. Get in. No, that's pride. That's a bad heart. Amen. Believers worship. Arrogance is a part of a bad heart. What's another part of a bad heart? Ambition to a fall. We can be so ambitious that it turns our heart. The love for money. How many know money is not evil? It is the love of money. That's a bad heart. Let me flip it around. Covetousness and jealousy over people who have money. Uh Uh-oh. I call that the entitlement spirit. 
That's a bad heart. You mad at somebody that's doing well, well, go do what they did. Oh, man, it's going, I'm going to be doing this all night tonight, I can tell. Amen. Do what they did. Don't get mad at them. Amen. They climbed. They did right. They were a giver. Uh-oh, they were a tither. They lived right. Amen. And the Lord just smiled on them. You see? But to look at that person and have a contentious spirit because they're doing well, that's a bad heart. I'm giving you examples of a wicked heart, all right? Jealousy, love for money, the list goes on and on. And so in the text tonight, they had to clean the temple out. Much like us, y'all, we got to clean the temple out. At our church that's being renovated, I've been popping in there all week long, and what they're doing right now is they just ripping everything. It don't, if you've been seeing it on Facebook, it looks nothing like what you once saw. They got all the insulation ripped out. They got drywall. I mean, the church is an empty space. It is getting torn up. Amen. But before you can put back, you got to. And if you go back to the text in, in, in Chronicles 29, the Bible says in verse 5 that they took the rubbish out of the temple. It's in the word of God. And what we've got to do, saints, and I'm not, I mean, I'm going to stay right here all night long. We've got to become self-reflective tonight of where our heart really is. Some of you tonight concerning your marriage, you got to take some trash out. Some of you tonight concerning your money and how you view money, excuse me, you got to take your trash out. Some of you tonight concerning the flesh. You got to take some, some, some trash out. You got to strip some stuff. Because how many of you know if you don't strip the walls down and do what you're supposed to do and you start putting stuff back, how many of you know there can still be some mold behind that wall? And see, if you don't strip it down to the bare bones, Brian, your contractor, help me. What's stripping it down to the bare bones? You got to take everything out. Well, what's the metaphor useful for tonight, saints? You've got to humble yourself. Okay, thank you, Kendra. Karina, thank y'all. Nobody else needs that. You got to humble yourself under the mighty hand. God, here I am. I got a bad heart concerning money. Father God, here I am. I got a bad heart. My attitude stinks. Uh-oh. God, here I am. I'm one of those wives that make the house hard to live in. God, here I am. I'm a husband that talks too hard to my wife. I'm coming out on everybody's street. God, here I am. I yell at my kids too often too much. God, here I am. You know what? I just got my own opinion about things, and I am just inflexible. This is what we call it, a hardened heart. It's out of the word of God. You can have a hardened heart to where your heart is just so ossified that nothing can get in. <laughs> nothing can get in. You got a hard heart. Your heart is not doing good. He's all right. His mom's going to get him. But your heart's not doing good. That's right. Help him out, Ron. <laughs> your heart's not doing good. You got a hard heart. Y'all still with me? All right. You got a hard heart. Your heart's not doing good. 
Amen. And you got to work to break down that shell. You got to work to break through it. And y'all listen to me. You can gloss over on this message, but what I just showed you over in 2 Chronicles 29 is there are certain breakthroughs they could not get because they didn't take the trash out. And what I am saying to you tonight is, is you can say, yeah, that's just another one of those good God first messages. Yep, work on me, Jesus messages and not really change. But then don't get upset when God doesn't move the way you want him to move. Everybody say, God, work on my heart. All right. So now the heart has to be uh, created. Uh, go with me to Psalm 51 and 10, and this is the way I really want to say it if you're taking notes. A clean heart has to be created. Amen. Your heart is not clean by default. It has to be cleansed. It has to be created. I dare not offend anybody in this room tonight, but all of us in here know and understand that today's shower ain't good enough for tomorrow. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that's not real talk, Brian and Travis. You know what they say about Mitchum? I call it false advertising, but the deodorant, they say it's so good you can skip a day. Try it. <laughs> try it. Don't come around me when you do it, but try it. I'm not going to skip one. Amen. Oh, come on, be honest. You know them days you accidentally forgot and left out? You're like, good God Almighty, where the CVS at? Amen. I don't care what time the meeting start. Amen. I'm not embarrassing myself today. I'm, I'm stopping on the way to work. I forgot. Amen. And just as your body has to be cleansed, Glenn, every single day, your heart. How many of you know we die daily? Your heart has to be purged, man. You got to keep a wrap on that thing. That old slew foot devil, he is so strategic. He'll leave you alone for a season, and then he'll bring the same foolishness all back up over again. You and your marriage, it was going perfect. Y'all were communicating well, and then out of nowhere, the devil just hit you with a left hook. You had gotten delivered from that financial foolishness. You've been tithing. You've been giving. You've been doing right. Then all of a sudden, the devil will in the bill that make you start contemplating whether or not you're going to honor God. And you've got to rebuke that when it happens. And I want to show it to you in Psalm 51 and 10. This was day after David had had his affair. <clears throat> and I don't have time to read the whole verse because I want to get into some fun stuff tonight. But in Psalm 51 and 10, somebody shout, I love the word. The word is transformative. Listen to what the Bible says. First lady, Psalm 51 and 10, the word of God. Come on, let's read it together. Ready? Read. Create in me a what kind of heart? A clean heart, O God, and do what? Renew a right spirit within me, which Shantae automatically means that there is a difference between the heart and the spirit. So if you can create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit, They've got to be on two different platforms. Right spirit, New Testament church, salvation. Spirit filled, right spirit. Salvation, spirit filled, those two levels. Everybody say right spirit. But heart has to be done by creation. You have to take effort. Ah, let me say it this way. When you got born again, understand that your thoughts did not get born again. 
Now it's getting good. You got born again, but your thoughts have to constantly, which is your will, your intellect, your heart, your thoughts have to constantly be brought under subjection to the power and the knowledge of Christ. That's why we cast down imaginations that exalt itself against the knowledge of God. Because the enemy makes suggestions. But when the suggestion, I'm teaching good, when the suggestion comes, you with your saved spirit-filled self have to take authority over those suggestions and say, I'm the head and not the tail. I'm above only and not beneath. I'm healed. I'm delivered. I'm not a critical husband. I'm not a heady wife. Come on, somebody. I'm not that anymore because God has done a new thing in me. If you're in here tonight and God's done something new in you, give him great praise all over this place. Come on. Hallelujah. You got to take authority over that. What did David do, church? He encouraged himself in the Lord. And in Old Testament terminology, now salvation hadn't happened yet, but let's just compare apples to apples. In Old Testament terminology, David would qualify to be a man of God or at least saved. But David had to cleanse himself. Psalm 51, he had to cleanse himself. He had gotten into some sin. That's why we read the passage last Thursday. If you sin, you have an advocate. All right, you got to cleanse your heart and understand that if you don't cleanse your heart, and I'm telling you the anointing is here for this tonight, if you don't cleanse your heart, there is something at stake. I will give you a biblical example of a couple that did not cleanse their heart and messed a lot of us up, Adam and Eve. They got a suggestion in their heart. The suggestion was to rebel against the God of their creation. That was a heart issue. Answer yourself this question. Why in the world would you listen to a snake versus God? Did that make any sense? You sit here and listen to an animal versus a God that just dropped you out of the sky. You don't even know how you got here, which is a reminder of how God blesses people in the church. And then after he gets through blessing them, they forget him. God smiles on them, does all these things for them. Then all of a sudden they get what I call spiritual amnesia. Now, I hate to say it this way, but if I were Adam and Eve, I would say snake God. Now, God told me not to mess with this apple, and that is don't eat of it. It wasn't an apple necessarily, but don't eat of this fruit. But now I'm listening to this reptile. So now God tells you, come on out of that crazy relationship, but you're still listening to the mom and them, the reptile. God telling you, go home and love your husband and be sweet to your husband, but you still listening, uh-oh, to your sister that's been divorced three times, give you advice on how to do your husband. God, I'm teaching good. Visitors, come back Sunday. You still listening to, and I'm going to say it candidly, a bunch of jokers who don't have nothing when God is blessing you, but instead you prefer the counsel Psalm 1 of the ungodly. Boy, this is good teaching tonight. But the heart has to be worked on. Your thoughts have to be captured. Run over to Philippians uh, 2 and 12. 
Somebody shout, I love the word. Boy, we got 24 minutes, so I'm going to use every minute of them. Philippians 2 and, and, and 12. I want you to get this because many people really haven't known what this meant, but, but God has given me revelation on this thing because I understand I'm saved by grace and not by works. So I can't be working to be saved. It's the grace of God that saves me. Ephesians 2 and 8. But over here in Philippians chapter 2, this is for my Bible students tonight. The Bible says, <clears throat> Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my what? Absence. What do I want you to do? Work out your own salvation with what? Fear and with trembling. Well, he couldn't have been talking about my spirit man. Because the same Paul tells me in the book of Ephesians that I'm saved by the grace of God. And I know that Jesus finished the works, Hebrews 4, on the cross. The finished works of God, they all happen on the cross. So by grace, I'm already saved. And as long as I don't reject Christ, everybody say, as long as I don't reject Christ. We're not teaching hyper grace tonight. As long as I don't reject Christ, I'm sealed to redemption. However, there is a soul salvation, Travis and Marcia, that I got to work on every day. I got to work on my heart salvation with fear and with trembling. Brother, you are saved, but now, you know, it's getting hot outside. And when the young woman with an hourly glass figure comes walking by, you got to make a Proverbs 4 decision. Proverbs 4 says, look straight ahead. You got to make a Proverbs 4 decision. Now, you are born again, but your heart, Jeremiah 17 and 9, I declare I'm covering my bases tonight, is desperately wicked. So your heart is going to make a suggestion, despite the fact that you're happily married. Your heart is going to say, look, it won't hurt. I had an uncle, and he used to say, God gave me eyes, and as long as I have them, I'm going to use them. And my feedback for him is, you're going to have them same eyes in hell. Same ones, they're going to be on fire, eaten by worms every day. Just for the record, everybody shout, hell is real. I know it don't come up in most churches, so I just want to remind you that it's, it's a place. <laughs> I know they don't tell you that. It, it, no, it, it exists. And some people go, in fact, the Bible says most, many people, many go thereby. Narrow is the way, but broad. So most of the crowd, y'all, that's where they go. Most folk don't really come to that heart change, and they rebel against God all their life. And when their tongue cleaves to their roof, as the old Baptist deacon used to say, come on, Deacon Frank, you can help me with that. You know that prayer. Lord, that my cooling board is my bed and my sheets wasn't my winding sheets. Deacon, you know something about that, don't you? And my tongue has cleaved to my roof. Let it be that I'm found standing in your presence. That's when deacons were sincere. Now, some of them, just for clarification, was still smoking and drinking after church. Speaking of the heart, you know, you can pray and still have the devil in you. But I'm just talking about the sincere guys right now. But back on track, you got to work on your thoughts. You got to work on your affections. You got to, I'm getting so real with you tonight. Well, let's read it again. Work out your soul salvation with what? Fearing with trembling. You got to get at a place where you're like, man, look here. I ain't trying to miss no word now. Fearing with trembling, Sister Carter. 
No, I ain't, no, I, no, no, I, no, I go to church. You know, y'all know it's getting ready to be summertime and family members come down and they got time to go to every mall in the city on Saturday. Then on Sunday morning, they feel like sleeping in. Well, since you got fear with Trembling, you go ahead and turn on all the loud music and you say, hey, everybody in here goes to church on Sunday. What y'all mean? And then when they give you that line, well, we didn't bring no church clothes. Baby, you went shopping yesterday. Throw that on and come on and come with me to church. You went to the outlet. You was at Concord Mills. In fact, we're your jeans. We don't care. Are you with me? What am I saying tonight, church? Vicki, you have raised the standard on your soul. I don't just miss because it's okay to miss. It's not okay. Seriously, y'all, I'm getting ready to break through to some new levels with this church. Where am I at on a Sunday at 9 a.m. when I can be in a good cluster group refining my faith? Think about that. Why? why? And, I, and, and, and I'm going to make the culture here so awesome to where, you know, when people get to church at 1047, they, they become a standout. You'd be like, hey, oh, you forgot we started at 10. Y'all, that's not rude. It's the truth. Because, see, your heart's not in the right place. We know it's not in the right place because you don't do anything else like that. Seriously, stay with me. I'm so serious. Ask your, start searching your heart and start saying to yourself, now why do I do God's business like that? How come I'm so casual with the things of God? I'm working out my soul salvation with fear and with trembling. Well, go to Romans chapter 12, verse 2. <laughs> God, this is good teaching tonight. And I'm not saying it arrogantly, to the glory of God. You got to work out your soul salvation, man. You got to get in the trenches. I'm not talking about your spirit salvation. I'm talking about your soul salvation, your will, your thoughts, your intellect. Everybody say this with me. This is going to be a surprise, but say it with me. Come on. I don't have to sin. Everybody say this with me. I'm in control of my emotions. I'm not going to preach like those other guys who talk, say foolish things like, I had to lay, lay my stuff down for a minute. You, you're going to lay it down, and that's when the rapture going to happen. Right when you lay it down. I laid down my religion, or I did, whatever. Somebody shout, I'm a Christian. Listen to what Romans chapter 12, start at verse number one. I beseech you, therefore, Christians, brethren, that's what that word means, by the mercies of God that you would do what? Present your bodies how? Not a dead sacrifice. A living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable unto God. Somebody say it's just reasonable, which is just reasonable. But then verse number two, I love this church, and be not conformed to this world. And be not conformed to Thursday night TV. And be not conformed to foolish babblings at work. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your will, the renewing of your soul, the renewing of your heart. Yes, the renewing of your mind. The renewing of your mind that you may do some good stuff, that you may prove that good, acceptable, and what? Perfect will of God. You know what I want you to understand tonight by faith? And I'm saying this because now we're getting ready to really get in the trenches here. I want you to know God wants you to have his best. Do you agree with that? 
God wants you to have his best, but what Satan does a good job of is keeping Christians in the darkness all their life. Having them figure this thing called righteousness out all their life. And then when they finally look up and have an epiphany that they could have had better, they're on the other side of life. Seriously, you might still get to heaven, but why get to heaven knowing that God had better? God said, well, no, I wanted to do this for you. I don't mean to sound mean and harsh, but I really want to be sincere tonight. We're working on the heart. No, I really had a husband for you. I just couldn't get you out of the club. I really wanted to bless you. I just couldn't get you to put down the wine cooler at cookouts and drink a Pepsi. See, I'm serious, y'all. See, sometimes we say those things and, and, and folks assume that the preacher just wants a reaction or people to laugh. No, I am so serious. God has gotten so heavy on me with this thing, Maria, this heart thing. He told me to look at the leaders around me, check their heart. I reminded them on our little conference call on, on, uh, on Tuesday or whenever it is, hey, where's your heart at? Search it. Figure out where it is. Because believers just ought not be in a battle, and not, not that they've been arguing with each other, but I'm talking about in our own affections, in a battle back and forth with whether or not we agree with God, whether or not we agree with his word. And I mean that church on every level. You notice at this church we don't talk much about tithing? That's a hard issue. If you got to preach tithing four, three Sundays out of four, you got a problem. You got a problem. Tithing is, is, is under the law. You don't know scripture. Tithing was here 400 years before the law. Well, I don't believe in tithing. Well, let's do what they did in the book of Acts. They sold all their possessions and laid it at the apostles' feet. You prefer that or 10%? I don't have an amen on that. Which method do you want to use? We're real estate brokers. We can list your house. What if you started giving out of a pure heart? What if you just started honoring God and stopped giving God excuses as to why you can't give him his money? It's not your money. It's his money. All things come of the O Lord. So we don't even got to talk about that all day long because until a person's heart is transformed, oh my God. Married couples, let your wife serve you some food and just throw it on the table. I don't know about you, but I don't eat food that's thrown at me. If I'm at a restaurant and the waiter got a bad attitude, I get up. I'm telling you. And I don't want another waiter either because her friend might be cooking. I'm leaving. Amen. I can go somewhere else. My money is no good here. You say what you want. I don't want bad service. Amen. Amen. My wife doesn't want me to bless her with something that she had to twist my arms to get. That's a bad heart. And that's how we do God, though. Let that sink in. God blesses us with food, clothing, and shelter. He smiles on us. He gives us the luxuries of living. I'm not moving through this thing too fast. He blesses us with bonuses and favor and qualifications for new homes. I got so many members, I get so many house qualifications throughout the week these days. God's been good. And let me tell you something, and seriously, catch this. 
it should not take prompting to love him with a pure heart. You know, <clears throat> our church has made this little standard on Sunday. Anytime somebody stands up and says, well, we first honor our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we're supposed to stand up and cheer. But, you know, I'm kind of thinking that God is getting past it. I'm kind of thinking that he's tired of the right side of the church responding while the left side still figures it out. I'm thinking that he's tired of the folks who sit in the left corner of the church during praise and worship still, you know, figuring out if they want to put some candy in their mouth, you know? I'm thinking, God, you know, like, keep that. It should be quiet. How you going to give God a love offering without love behind it? Think about that. I think pastors should rethink how they do their personal love offerings. You know, I tell you for sure, for me, for God's sake, if, if the heart's not there, everybody say, keep it, keep it. Mm -mm. Amen. I think husbands ought to rethink how you deal with your wife. I don't think she wants that present where it was just so hard for you to make up in your mind that you wanted to bless her. You went through so much travail. I say this with bragging and boasting, and I could care less how it comes out. But Stephanie and I, this week, and we had already said we wanted to do this, but I went to her account. She has her little account, and she went to my account, and simultaneously we blessed each other. But, you know, blessing my wife was not something where I just felt this overwhelming, so glad I got it done. How come that's not just normal? This is for a married man tonight. Why are you so critical with your wife? She got to answer 20 questions before she makes one purchase. Because you happen to bring in the most money. God's got a remedy for that. It's called disability. See, the Bible says humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. But you know the caveat to that is, is if you don't humble yourself, God's got some humbling mechanisms. And he doesn't even have to bring it. He just allows it. Calamity come in your house. That's why the Bible said uh, over in the book of Timothy, say to the rich that they still, in so many words, keep a pure heart towards folks who don't have. See, when God blesses you, that heart ought to become even more purified. When you get more, you ought to give more. To whom much is given. But those are all issues of the heart. So we have to purposely take the trash out of our heart. I hope this is working tonight. And then simultaneously, this is good, you have to disallow trash from getting in the heart in the first place. Watch this. What would happen if I finally got to a place to where I no longer needed to be delivered? You do know when you cast that demon out, it goes and finds seven friends. What if I cast him out and locked the door and told him he can't come back ever again? Seven more wicked things. Nope, never again. Well, how do you lock him out? This is why I bust people's bubble on Sunday who were, quote, unquote, down there shouting, getting delivered. You know, I saw a whole bunch of folk who I hadn't seen in church in a whole quarter. And this is what really makes it good, and I'm not mad. Where are they now? How come, how come you got your healing... <laughs> and you're not in church. Right. We just covered that. 
And I'm not fussing, church, but I'm telling you, Mark 4 says the sower sows the word, but the enemy comes immediately and takes it away. If you don't nurture that word, if you don't water that word, if you don't stay around the things of God, that same healing you got, it will be. Melvin did a good teaching, and me and a good pastor friend was talking about this theme earlier this week. But what's God's ROI on you? What's his return on investment? All these deposits, all of these things. I'm so glad to see some new people tonight because I'm going to be honest. I'm personally ready to deposit in some new folk. Seriously, I'm ready to spend some time there. Some folk who like, okay, this is fresh and new. Okay, teach me faith. Teach me righteous living. But those of us who've been around here two, three years, you still defeated? Come with me to 1 Corinthians 15, 33 through 34. Amen. You got to take the trash out, church. And then I got eight ways that trash gets in your heart. <laughs> we'll have to come back to this next week. 1 Corinthians 15, 33 through 34. Be not deceived. What happens, church? Evil communications corrupt good manners. It says awake to righteousness and do what? Sin not, for some have not the knowledge of God. And he says, I speak this to your shame. Read that, meditate on that. But evil communication corrupts good manner. I want to move ahead and at least get two or three ways that trash gets in your heart. All right. Number one, gossip. 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 Watch this. What is gossip? Telling something that shouldn't be told or listening to something that shouldn't be heard. That's all gossip is, excuse me. Telling something that shouldn't be told or listening to something that shouldn't be heard. All of that is depositing into the trash compactor. You ever had a conversation with somebody and you left worn out? It was so much junk, everything they said was so toxic. I'm serious, y'all. And by the time you got through talking to him, come on, don't shut me down. You left that conversation like, man, all that negative talk, all that who they think they are, all that this and that, all that what the Bible calls backbiting. We don't have time to go there. Just put it in your notes. Proverbs 16, 28 says a dishonest man spreads strife, strife, excuse me, and a whisperer separates close friends. Proverbs 16, 28. Then you go listening to somebody that done messed up a good friendship you had. Just taking junk in. Just listening to mess all the time. Just spreading mess. And then the pastor said it on Sunday. He's so right. I've seen this with some of my own congregants. Then you start talking against a man of God and wondering why you got Bell's palsy. Why God twisted up your mouth. I'm helping my sheep tonight. Just gossip, just stuff. And then we talk about stuff we don't even know what we talking about. Well, you know, they say, they say she was actually, who said that? Where you get that from? Well, you know, they say, who's they? All that negative stuff coming down in your soul. And see, what I'm saying to you tonight is, is you might not be the person that brings it up, but like when you communicate with the person that brings it up, you are still a participant and a victim. A 
participant and a victim. <laughs> when we would say, you know, stuff to my dad that was on a negative theme, he was good at this. He would say, talk about the weather. <laughs> he would. He'd say, talk about the weather. And we knew that that was his signal of, I don't want to hear that. Talk about something else now. Talk about the weather. Well, Philippians 4 and 8 says you have to think on things or dwell on things that are of a good report. Well, if you're thinking on things that's of a bad report, you know, they're doing this, this work at the church now. And, and, you know, I get calls all day long and I got this call yesterday or the day before. And they said, Pastor, we hate to be the bearer of bad news. We just hate to be the bearer of bad news. I said, well, I'm listening. Well, there's a major water main break on the property. I said, well, don't you think you need to call a plumber? I mean, that's really what I said to him, not in no snide way. But I said, don't you think you should call a plumber? I said, think about it. The water's running all this time. I don't have plumbing expertise. My guess is you need a plumber. And they laughed at me. But hey, Pastor, you're right. You're exactly right. We'll get that taken care of. Well, that was the solution all along. So how did I have to hear about Pastor Holiday says it well, your, your father, he's good at it. No, no, no problems without solutions. So why are you bringing me problems and you don't have a solution? What's the solution? Everybody say bad news. Y'all know that old Oz movie, Don't Nobody Bring Me No Bad News? Amen. We'll sing that at the end of the service to close things out. No bad news, man. We don't want to hear it. Amen. Number two, here's the next thing that will get trash in your heart. Isolation. Isolation. Now, you got to come back because there are at least eight of them. Might be ten by next week. But isolation, being left to your idle thoughts. When a person isolates. And see, this is why I'm telling you, this is why you need a good church. All that isolating, getting in the corner and figuring it out on your own, you're going to be lost. A vagabond, a rebel. Leaving all godliness, isolation. I put this in my notes as I was studying. Left to our own devices, we can be tainted by our thoughts. We can be tainted by our thoughts. You need accountability as it pertains to your heart and thoughts. You cannot isolate and still have pure thoughts. You can isolate and draw conclusions on things that we should not draw conclusions on. Married couples, we can isolate and assume something was one way when it wasn't. And then you done heat it up. You've been heating up and, and, and seeping on that thing. And then you finally come and talk to your spouse, and they don't know where that whirlwind came from. You isolated. Somebody say isolation's not good. I love this third one, and then we'll stop. Modeling your current experience after a flawed experience. Put that in your notes, and that'll be our last one tonight. Modeling your current experience after a flawed experience. This puts trash inside of you. What am I saying? God blesses you to now be married to a nice man or a nice young lady after you were delivered from the wrong marriage or relationship, but now this nice person is now victimized by everything you went through back then. You're in a good situation now, but you're still modeling this after that. Or you were in a horrible church where they messed money up and somebody took money and ran away and, you know, squandered it and went to Las Vegas twice a day. Twice a day. 
with money that wasn't theirs. Now, it's okay to do that if, if it's yours, but money that wasn't theirs, um, Ellie, you can stop the tape. All right? But then you get in the church, and the first